Hello, I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. In yesterday's podcast, I was talking about people who fear the research at CERN might open up some kind of a dangerous portal. And I mentioned that I have some additional thoughts about portals from my own research that uh, I'd like to share with you. So I'm going to do that in this particular podcast. You know, have you ever felt like you might have walked into another dimension? I mean, it can be a very subtle thing. It can happen gradually and things just suddenly don't look right or feel right. And you say, wait a second, what just happened here? Like, you know, what's 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 going on? Or it could be something very sudden. Um, usually it's a limited period of time. And sometimes you look back on it and it seems almost dreamlike. It's so odd. Um, that could have been an example of you actually encountering some kind of a portal or a place that has a high likelihood for a portal opening. But what are we really talking about here? Okay, let's, because I find that one of the biggest problems with gaining understanding when it comes to exploring the mysterious, the paranormal, is just the terminology that we use, the language that we use. So a portal, in the most basic sense, is a doorway. But what is a doorway? Well, a doorway is an opening in an otherwise impassable barrier. So it's literally a weak spot, you know. It's a way for you to get from one side of the barrier to the other side, basically. And if you think about this two-dimensionally, and it's just as a thought experiment, you know, you can imagine just a wall, just a flat wall, with a rectangular opening cut in it, just like every doorway you've probably seen over the past week, um, unless you're a hobbit or something like that, usually it's just a rectangle, and that is your doorway, but that's on a two-dimensional sort of plane of imagination, but now expand that to not being 2D, but being 3D, the world in which we actually live. So let's say maybe something more like you're on one side. Well, no, let me put it this way. You're inside of a fish tank and there is uh, water all around you, up, down, left, right. You know, there's water all around you three-dimensionally. But you want to somehow get from one side of that fish tank to the other side without getting wet while you're inside the fish tank. Well, the only way that you can do that is if you find some kind of a portal on one end, which essentially, at this point, would now look like a, a tunnel. It's going to look like a wormhole, basically, that's going to stretch through that volume in that 3D world uh, and take you through the water, you know, from point A to point B, without getting wet so so now you're this would be like a, a portal of again a more a more three-dimensional way of viewing it but now try to try to take it to the fourth dimension where we have time involved that's something we can hardly even imagine and not to mention the fact that there are 
certainly uh, certainly at least a dozen other dimensions some scientists say there are thousands of dimensions now that they they can prove mathematically I mean so and and don't even again it's one of those things or don't even try to imagine that you can't comprehend it but what we're really talking about here is the idea that there are other uh, realms you can call them a place if you want to other destinations that might just be right here with us in this same sort of block of space-time except it's a completely different dimension of this block of space-time and there might usually be some kind of a barrier between here and there which prevents us from interacting but then you have occasionally those spots that the Europeans call or at least the ancient Europeans love to call thin places and they describe a thin place as a place where that boundary between our realm and another realm is thinner. They especially like to talk about, you know, it being closer to heaven if they go to some place that's really nice and exalting. You know, they say this is a thin place, it brings you close. So they're talking about a place where the veil is thinner. Again, that boundary that separates this from that, even though we're in the same same block perhaps of space-time it doesn't it doesn't have to be in the same block it could be two entirely different places as well I guess with some kind of a wormhole involved but you know I'll keep this as simple as possible since we're doing a, you know, a podcast about a fairly singular topic so there are places out there that may be you know naturally more or less prone to have some kind of a portal where you can encounter something from another realm and it could just be information it could just be a smell or it could be uh, something that you hear it could be a vision it could be literally some kind of a uh, well some people talk about a download which means like suddenly they have a bunch of information that pops into their brain from somewhere and they don't know where it came from I mean you can look at this in many different ways but the question that we're dealing with is okay but how do you create a portal like how it how do you actually say i'm going to take the reins and i'm going to do whatever i can to make one of these i want to manually you know manhandle the the realms around here so that i can try to open a portal on demand well as i was mentioning yesterday you're much more likely to accomplish this if you are going to a place that already has a thinness there you know take advantage of the thinness that's there and you and you have a, a it's it's a much easier job to do um but let me give you a, an example of how i have approached this idea of trying to create portals on demand because i have been asked to do this on a number of occasions and i'll give you one of those examples in a minute so let's take a mountain everybody says ah solid as a mountain right so you have a nice big solid mountain with trees and boulders and that that mountain has been there for god knows how many years okay it's one of the most solid things out there. You you can go 
just below the surface, even gamma rays can't reach you. You're, you're safe. But then what happens to that mountain when suddenly, out of the blue, the earth starts shuddering and vibrating? I'm talking about an earthquake. What happens is that once that vibration, once that shaking reaches a certain point, parts of that mountain, literally, as geologists call it, uh, start to liquefy. I mean, that the mountain just starts coming apart. And parts of it start flowing more like like a water than, than a, or, or, well, a liquid, you know, than a solid. And you have these big crevasses that start opening up, and it's so scary. I mean, you, you are literally seeing this thing that looked so powerful and stable and dominant just start crumbling into nothing in, in these giant earthquakes. And that's all about vibration. It's just shaking it around and shaking it to a certain point, and, and that point depends on the relationship between the structure and the vibration. That's what uh, harmonics and all that is about, trying to resonate things at a particular frequency for a particular purpose. So you get landslides, you get avalanches, and they happen very suddenly, and they're, you know, and it's a very clear phenomenon. Uh, by the way, do you know the difference between an avalanche and a landslide? Well, a landslide, well, let me, let me start with the, an avalanche is when a bunch of material on the mountain, uh, trees, rocks, snow, mud, dirt, all becomes detached from the mountain and starts flowing down the side. That's an avalanche. A landslide is when the mountain itself breaks up and pieces of the mountain itself come roaring down. So it's similar, but it's not the same thing. Uh, I would say, obviously, you could, have, you could have an avalanche without a landslide, but I think in many cases you get a landslide accompanied by an avalanche, right? But the point of all this is you, you, you shake something enough. even doesn't matter how big and powerful it is and it can start coming apart. And so, in my work throughout the years, and, and yes, I have been criticized some for doing this. People are always telling me that I'm playing with fire when I start trying to open portals and stuff. But, you know, I've done it. Um, and and I, I won't try to justify... Look, basically, um, it's about risk-taking. It's about taking a risk. And you, you're not ever 100% sure what's going to happen. And, and, I, and I've taken that risk, and so far, so good, because I believe that I am uh, protected personally from uh, bad things that will, will come through. And uh, I work on that on a daily basis, creating a field of protection around myself. And that's a subject for another podcast. Uh, I don't think I'm going to unleash something into the world necessarily, but uh, but look again, it's a it's a it's a risk, it's a hazard of experimentation. But that said, um, what I try to do is I go to places occasionally when I'm especially you know when I'm asked to. 
I go to places that are already paranormally active. So you know the veil seems to be thin there to begin with. And so I go there and say, well, all right, well, let's, let's shake it up. Let's shake it up. And I bring in all kinds of things. You know, I mentioned this yesterday. Tesla coils, Wimshurst generators, Van de Graaff generators, all kinds of things. Tuning forks and just start creating an enormous amount of resonance that starts to break the uh, electromagnetic environment up into a bunch of pieces. And when this happens, the room starts to become very charged and the walls start to glow blue and light bulbs start um, blinking out and you know all that kind of stuff happens but what I'm doing is I'm creating an earthquake I'm creating an, an electromagnetic and interdimensional earthquake at a certain spot so that everything in that dimension uh, well everything I guess in the dimensional boundary kind of liquefies I'm, I'm trying to uh, to phrase this in a way that you can visualize it better. It's like everything liquefies, and so now it's easier to pass through, uh, easier to pass through a liquid than it is a solid. And so that's sort of this sloppy portal that you're opening up uh, using that method so that things can perhaps travel back and forth for one reason or another. So here's an example of, of say, um, me doing that kind of thing. I was hired by Warner Brothers, yes, the giant motion picture production company, back, I think they they came to me first in 2010 and said that, uh, well, the director of a new horror movie called me, and um, the movie was called The Apparition, and it was about some college kids that uh, are playing around in the laboratory, and they... You know, they end up creating an apparition, basically, and guess what happens? Things go awry. And But um, so they weren't sure, the producers and, and, and the director weren't sure how to integrate equipment into this that would look realistic, like something that might actually um, might actually work for, for people who were, were watching the movie with a more um, experienced eye. You know, it's like, trying to keep that suspension of disbelief they're like we're storytellers but we're not paranormal experimenters and you know so they hired me as a a technical consultant on that film to just help them with that aspect of it to give my advice and you know you give advice it doesn't mean they're going to use it but you know so I worked with them and um, when the movie came out in 2012 uh, it was actually the movie was a flop uh, commercially it was a flop it had Ashley Green in it a uh, well-known actress and uh, had Sebastian Stan and he's he's done very well especially I think in some of the um, superhero movies and stuff so I mean it had a great cast and you know and it was cool I was on on the set in LA and I got to hang out with all the actors and everything and it was a very very fun uh, experience for me but the best part of it was they were so impressed with the the work that I I did for them as a consultant that they actually decided to send um, a director from Los Angeles to the laboratory, the Lemur Laboratory that I owned in Western North Carolina, and have us try to actually do some of these experiments for real um, for the Blu-ray extras. 
And so we did a bunch of experiments, and that is a whole other long story. I, I may have even talked about it already in more depth on one of my podcasts, but the long story short is we turned on Tesla coils and Van de Graaffs, and we, we really, you know, rattled this environment like crazy. And uh, But that night, nothing happened. The next day, nothing happened. But then within a few days, all of a sudden, we had something that came through. Okay, it took it a few days. It didn't happen instantly, or if it did, we weren't aware of it instantly. But after a few days, we had this dark being that was now running around this property and scaring the hell out of everybody. And again, that's a, it's a big, long, detailed story. But this would be an example, and I could give you many. This would be an example of opening a portal, you know, for for a period of time. Uh, that then allows something to come through, and and sometimes when something comes through, um, well, you know, it's it's kind of confusing because sometimes you wonder, did I open a portal that something came through, or did I create such a malleable environment that my thoughts or the the you know who the, in that particular case we had investigator Shelley Wright projecting the thought of an apparition, you know. Did, did the environment just take those building blocks and then morph them and shape them into that thought form? Uh, these are very complicated issues, and that's why all this stuff is mysterious. And uh, that's why uh, one of my favorite quotes is the one by Einstein where he said, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research. So that is essentially the theory, from my point of view, on how you can maybe create a, a portal. Now, this is kind of loosely related to the idea of vortexes and vortices. Uh, you know, a, a vortex, of course, is a, a spiraling energy of some kind. It could be a tornado, uh, could be a, a whirlpool, um, and you know, with water, tornado with wind. Here in the Las Vegas area, you look out the window and you see these dust devils, these big towering spinning things. So, so a vortex is a spinning energy, and uh, but in many cases, the concept is that well, the energy that's spinning, it, it comes spinning from some other place. So sometimes there's a relationship between. Uh, a portal and a vortex that forms around that portal. Uh, in fact, uh, the plural of vortex is vortexes or vortices. Either one is appropriate. And so I just want to mention this because I had a you know a special connection. Um, the whole idea of vortexes as places where energy is swirling out of or into the earth being uh, popularized, which happened in the 1980s, was the product of a woman who was a psychic author, radio host named Paige Bryant. And in the 1980s, she lived in Sedona, Arizona, and she really spearheaded this concept that there are certain places around Sedona where energy was either coming out of the earth in a big spiral, which she called an electric vortex, or spiraling into the earth, which she called a magnetic vortex. 
So she was not using the terms electric and magnetic the way that an engineer would. For her, electric was like the yang, the mel force coming out of the earth, and then magnetic was the yin, the female force going back into the earth. So she popularized that concept, and uh, to this day, if you go to Sedona, Arizona, I mean, it's a big deal there. Uh, you Just about every gas station you go into has maps of, you know, vortex maps. You can take vortex tours. I mean, she really gave them the means to capitalize on a whole other level of tourism. But what's fascinating to me is that... Um, as she got a little older, uh, let's see, I guess around, you know, the 1990s, she decided to move from Sedona, and she chose to move to western North Carolina. So she moved right down the road, uh, well, you know, like 45 minutes down the road from where I live to uh, a town called Waynesville, Waynesville, North Carolina. And when she got there, uh, she wrote a book that was published in 1994 called The Spiritual Reawakening of the Great Smoky Mountains. And she started talking about how there were all kinds of vortexes all around western North Carolina that were even more uh, significant in some cases than the ones in Sedona, certainly equally as powerful and significant. And she was predicting in this book the spiritual reawakening of the great smoky mountains which is a great read it's a really good book she was predicting that there was going to be this incredible sort of call it a new age boom uh, a renaissance that would happen around Asheville and western north carolina and boy was she right she was dead on uh you you'd had to have been there you know to to see what the world was like in around Asheville North Carolina in 1994 versus what it's like today i mean it's 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 almost unrecognizable in some ways just how popular the place has become as a mecca for that type of metaphysical thinking and, and arts and entertainment and and brewing microbrewing and it just it's just a really amazing transformation and so um when she was writing this book she was obviously you know she was tapping into something she was inspired in fact i'm reading here according to the sedona website they say a vortex quote is believed to be a special spot on the earth where energy is either entering into the earth or projecting out of the earth's plane vortexes are found at sacred sites throughout the world the great pyramid in egypt Machu Picchu in Peru, Bali, Stonehenge, Ayers Rock in Australia, etc. And it is believed the vortex energy moves in a spiral, moving up or down. Well, Paige Bryant died last year. She died in July of 2017 there in Waynesville, and she was 73 years old. But I had the great pleasure of being a guest in her home one evening along with my friend Brian Irish, who not only was a great friend, but uh, and is a great friend, but uh, he was our video imaging specialist for uh, pretty much the, the, the golden heyday of the, the lemur years when we were out there really doing a lot of active investigations. And so Brian and I went to her house 
and um, she was there with with her husband and uh, I believe his name is Scott and uh, he's a fantastic artist and it was just a wonderful evening it was just such a wonderful memory to go there and talk to her and I was asking her well okay uh, why did you come up with this vortex concept? And she goes, well, this is what I could feel. This is what I could sense. And I was saying, is that how you found them? And she says, yeah, I could just sense them. I can just feel them. That's it. So I said, so there's no way to measure these. There's no instrument that I can take and, and, and document scientifically that there's some kind of a swirling field that's coming in a clockwise direction out of this rock. And she said, not that I know of. Because when I've gone to these different places that she calls vortex sites, I sure enough always get some kind of anomalies. Okay, there's always some kind of a weird pulsation, an erratic electromagnetic field or electrostatic field. I mean, things that are not like most other areas. But scientifically speaking, I can tell you after talking to Paige Bryant, who popularized vortexes, we still don't have any way of objectively verifying that there is such a thing as a vortex a quote-unquote vortex of energy that's coming out of or going into the earth at these places but she was very candid about saying you know i'm a psychic and this is just something that i pick up you know i can feel it and other people can feel it and uh and and, and there also is something kind of obvious about these sites being special you know most of these places that are considered vortexes of one kind or another are also just uh striking places visually you know places that just look cool that look outstanding for some reason uh or are outstanding for some reason like brown mountain uh she said brown mountain is a vortex but now of course brown mountain you'd not even notice brown mountain during the daytime driving by it but at night when the brown mountain lights are appearing well then it's like yeah what the heck is this so um so it's places that usually look very striking though so i bring this up to you because there is not necessarily a direct relationship between the idea of vortexes and portals but they are cousins and they they could be one and the same depending on the situation depending on the scenario there may be scenarios in which there is a portal that uh, exists either naturally or is created and the energy that is traveling in or out of the portal is uh is spiraling it's like the difference between the water that just normally flows in a creek in a straight line going from one direction to the other versus those streams and creeks that occasionally are you know there's a pool or whatever and the water starts spinning around at that spot the end product is the same the water goes from here to there but the question is is it a direct straight line or is it going to spin and spiral at some point in the process so you can kind of understand a little bit about again at least from a paranormal perspective the hypothetical one might even suggest theoretical but certainly hypothetical um approach to trying to imagine what these things are so given that given what i've just told you if you look at, again at something like cern where they are taking these particles 
and smashing them together at incredible speeds but creating very intense bangs but very small intense bangs well that means that okay let's say even if when you slam things together like that let's say you do open up a portal well it's probably just a portal for a split second you know it's a a tiny little portal that just boom is open and closed for a split second and so I think that even if there is a portal of some kind that, 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 that opens for a second when you do that, and you know, probably, honestly, despite everything I said yesterday, why not? They, there probably is some kind of little portal that opens up when you do something like that. But I don't think that is nearly as effective as resonating a space and holding it there for a while you know it's it's like the earthquake thing you know earthquakes don't happen in a split second they they it takes there's a duration there it could be seconds but the ones that make mountains crumble those can last you know a minute or more i mean it, it takes a while to really get that resonance going and so i think that um what you want to do if you're going to try to open a portal artificially is you find a place that's already sort of thin that's already flexible and then you you just shake it up by using again things like tesla coils and uh you can throw in a lot of stuff a tesla coil a jacobs ladder a wimshurst generator a van de Graaff machine you can hammer tuning forks i mean you can do all kinds of things to just get that whole environment resonating and you will see yeah, the walls will glow blue, things will start to crackle, you'll start getting shocked off of everything that you touch. I mean, many, many people have been with me in situations where they've seen that this this happens. And it's unfortunate because you can't really document that because your camera won't work. It'll fry your camera. It'll mess up your film. I mean, it's the kind of thing where you just sort of have to be there in person. And so I don't wouldn't wouldn't that be something if I decided to do like some kind of a public demonstration like that, where I uh, I bring in a certain number of I mean, like twenty people, you know, sell you a ticket, come you or do a raffle or whatever, you know, give the money to charity, whatever, and we just get people together in a room. And I show them in person this because it's the only way you can see it. It's the only way you can experience it is in person. But here's the problem that you have to keep in mind, okay? Even though I know that this can be done as a real paranormal portal technology, once you do this, you know, once you essentially open this thing, um, it could take a while for it to naturally close again so beware if you decide to listen to this podcast and go out and do what i'm talking about i'm not telling you you should at all this is just an educational presentation for your enjoyment and your you know hopefully enlightenment i'm not telling you you should play with this uh, it's taken me, I mean, I, I started messing around with this kind of technology when I was, you know, probably thir- 12, 13 years old. I've been doing this a long time. And and so I understand how the technology works, but I still don't know what the implications are necessarily of opening these portals up because it depends on where you are and what the circumstances are. 
So beware if you want to do this, because again, it's one thing to, to create that landslide, but it can be tricky to put the mountain back together again. So you just never know um, what you might get. So once again, take this as interesting information, as knowledge, but beware. I do not encourage any of you to do it yourself. Well, I have a lot of interesting things on my mind right now, especially since October 13th of 2018, that's coming up very soon, I'm going to be in Los Angeles for my final wishing machine extravaganza. Everybody in the audience gets a free gift. It's going to be an amazing time. And I hope that I will get to meet you in person and hang out with you and see you there. If you would like to potentially get a ticket, go to joshuapwarren.com. Joshuapwarren.com. There's no period after the P. And you'll see at the top of the homepage right now some big yellow letters that say something about Los Angeles event. Click there, read the content, watch the videos, and uh, you'll understand a little bit more about what I'm going to be doing in Los Angeles on October the 13th. It's going to be a small group of people in the Ruby Theater, and you can be one of them. Also at joshuapwarren.com, you'll find a link to this podcast called Joshua P. Warren Daily. It's called that because I do my best to leave one for you every day. It's always short. It's always free. You can subscribe through various means or just follow me on Twitter at Joshua P. Warren, at Joshua P. Warren, and I will tweet when a new one is available. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your interest and support. Thank you for staying curious, and I will talk to you again soon.